0: Welcome to episode 27 of the Cliff City Podcast. I'm your host, Yovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. And today I am joined by someone I've I've looked up to for a long time. Uh, Someone that, you know, was kind of a gatekeeper when I was coming up uh, and started covering the Clippers. A, A Clipper blog alum, the head varsity basketball coach at Mission Vista High School, and a contributor to the ringer. Mr. DJ Foster, DJ, how you doing?
1: I'm gonna start crying. Yo, man. <laughs> jeez, get me all in my feelings to start this thing.
0: Starting this yeah. so one emotionally.
1: This <laughs> <laughs> is like a reunion. I'm so excited. We're, we're starting on time, which is amazing. I'm used to Clipper Blog Live, where we start two hours after we're supposed to. So this is amazing. <laughs> uh, but
0: how have you been, man? How's things? Good. I haven't talked good Life in a is
1: good. Coaching. Uh, you know, Clippers. What, I'm very what, excited. What the,
0: What's your coaching style like? Who would you compare yourself to?
1: That's a great question. Um, I, I think I like to think of myself as like Mike D'Antoni, but I'm probably okay. more Vinny Del Negro than anybody. Uh,
0: maybe more Dan D'Antoni.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm the discount D'Antoni for sure. Uh,
0: that, that, that's pretty good. I mean, you, you could have gone with like uh, Steve Clifford or something like that where it would have been a little questionable but uh, i'm definitely
1: stomping on the sidelines (laughs) anyone that gets near me is getting a solid foot stomp
0: i I will say i hope you're not vinny del negro i I really
1: hope. i think that's what we should all hope for
0: we'll we'll, we'll get into that later in in this podcast though uh there's going to be some vinny takes um so the you know, well, first off, I, I wanted to have you on uh, just because uh, I you know, wanted to talk to you and I couldn't think of really anyone better besides maybe KA to, to discuss Clipper stuff with. But, um, you know, recently the NBA.com came out with these controversial all-decade teams. And, you know, it seemed like a lot of the controversy was, of course, about Kobe. Uh, but, you know, there, there was Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, Kind of where those guys were. Uh, Melo made the second team. A lot of people thought he should have been on the third team or off the list. Kobe and Wade made the third team. A lot of people thought they should have been higher. Dirk didn't make any of the teams despite winning a finals MVP on and on and on. Uh, From the Clippers side of things, though, four guys made it. Kawhi made the first team. Blake and Chris made the second team. And Paul George made the third team. It's kind of weird because two of those guys have yet to play a single second or possession as Clippers. But they're technically Clippers now. Uh, but it, it just got me thinking because the Thunder were the only team that had more guys make a list that, that uh, make the list. They had five. the The Rockets also had four. Uh, but this has clearly been the the you know the best ten year stretch in Clippers history by any measure, wins, win percentage, you know, playoff appearances, whatever you want to say. Yeah. And it just got me thinking: what would a Clippers All Decade team look like? And I wrote about it for the Athletic a couple weeks ago. Uh, broke it down team by team. Uh, so, here are the ground rules, and, and then we'll get into it. You have to have three teams featuring three front court players and two back court players, same as NBA.com's teams. Uh, the seasons being evaluated are 2009, uh, 2010 season through the 2018 19 season, which would eliminate uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who again have, have yet to play officially as Clippers. And then there's no for, for me at least there was no kind of formula or, or tiebreaker that I considered, but I just kind of threw a bunch of things together, which were games played that really mattered to me. yeah, but games played minutes uh, per game averages, advanced metrics, playoff appearances, playoff success, and then of course a just a touch of subjectivity with uh, you know favoring certain guys over other guys. But uh, starting with the first team, uh, I'll, I'll quickly say my team and then we could get into your sure. team. Uh, my team is DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, and Danilo Gallinari as the three front uh, front court players and then Lou Williams and Chris Paul as the two back court players. Uh, what is your team and and then kind of how did you decide who was gonna make your first team and and what were kind of the the tough cuts from from that first lineup
1: well the the first thing I decided is that I was gonna cheat because <laughs> NBA.com didn't really follow their own rules either, so I thought,
0: yeah, it was a little. You weird. know,
1: like if they're going to bend the rules, if, if any team should be allowed to bend the rules and omit a small forward from the last ten years, it's <laughs> the Clippers, right? Like I almost feel dirty yeah. putting any small forward in that spot just because the last decade it's all we've talked about, right? For how many years is the Clippers needed a small forward, and they they finally got one in Gallo, but even Gallo was more a small ball four playing out of position at the three in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I went with CB three, Blake, DJ, obviously the, the core three, the same as you, I went with Lou as well, but I, instead of um, throwing Gallo in there, I, I cheated and I put JJ Redick in my first team. So I got CB three, Lou, JJ, Blake and DJ.
0: I like that. I mean, I think that's probably the, the best representation of the top five um you know i i had some people push back with jamal yeah. and it kind of got into an interesting conversation of uh jj versus lou versus jamal because for me my spot my you know i tried to stick with more of like three front court guys so i just threw gallo in there but for me it came down to lou versus jj and that was really difficult because um, uh, you know i think jj gave the lob city team a different wrinkle that they hadn't had those, those first couple of years before they uh traded for him and. You know, he was so important right. to the offense. Uh, I always thought he was really underrated defensively, uh, you know, so that's where even if you give Lou the edge offensively, which I guess he probably gets it, JJ was, is, you know, I think miles ahead of him defensively. So kind of factoring that in, the fact that he played, you know, multiple seasons for, for the Clippers, way more games, way more playoff games, like it was really tough for me to kind of pick between those two. But I just felt that with what Lou has been able to do in such a short amount of time over these last two years, uh, you know, including the the playoff heroics against the Warriors, uh, and that was that was actually kind of something I considered too, which is JJ's numbers have have historically gotten worse in the in the postseason. Uh, you know, it's kind of been a, a thing with him where teams will just drape the six six to six eight wing on him and, and and just kind of really dig into him and, and make life difficult. Whereas Lou, I mean, Lou was going against the Warriors, arguably the best team of all time, who had multiple all-NBA caliber defenders, Andre Gudala, Klay Thompson, even Draymond Green switching onto him, uh, you know, like on and on and on, Kevin Durant. And he was cooking everybody. And, you know, he he didn't perform as well at home, but he was instrumental in both of their road wins at Oracle, uh, including that 31-point comeback. And for me, that that kind of gave it some extra weight. And also, I thought what was really important with, with kind of the Lou versus JJ thing was the team actually got better after the trade deadline in you know consecutive seasons, trading away the quote-unquote best player, first Blake Griffin, then Tobias Harris. And you kind of looked in, in both situations like, okay, well, the Clippers are giving up. They're tanking. The season's over. But in both, both seasons, they actually got better with Lou as the go-to guy as their leading scorer. Uh, and you know it was kind of counterintuitive because we always have kind of viewed Lou as this microwave bench score, w- which he still was, but he just did it at such a high level that really his, his numbers, if, if you compared them to almost any guard, they, they were they were on that kind of all NBA All Star level uh, for those you know final two or three month stretches in in both seasons. So to me, I ultimately went Lou, but I, I think your team is probably the the better characterization of the five best Clippers overall. I think season.
1: Lou is the one, the the sticking point for people, uh, especially if you look at Lou versus Jamal, just because Jamal played for so many more years, then we're only getting the, the seasons. Lou. Yeah. But when when you think about it, um, just kind of piggybacking on what you were talking about in that Warriors series, I think there's a very real scenario where if the Clippers don't have Lou Williams, they don't get Kawhi Leonard and Paul George this summer, right? Like they probably lose about four or five extra games during the regular season. They probably missed the playoffs. They don't get that the boost of their rookie values in and Shamit and, and Shea during that playoff run. So those guys don't look as good. I think the Clippers as a landing spot would be much less attractive if you didn't have Lou Williams there as, a, as both as a scorer to take off the load and just elevated the Clippers to a point where they looked like a real viable landing spot for a free agent. So in that sense... I think Lou definitely belongs on that first team, just for what he led the Clippers to be able to become.
0: I, I couldn't agree more. And to the to your point of of Lou versus Jamal, look, I, I love Jamal. He's one of the nicest guys in the league. Um, you know, per, like on, on a personal level, he's one of the guys I'm yep. closest with in the league in, in terms of players. And like, he's a great guy. But Lou Williams has been on a different level the last two years. I mean, if you just look at you know his Clipper averages versus Jamal's Clipper averages. You know, go down the list like true shooting percentage, per, all that nerdy stuff uh, <laughs> that that you and I love. Like, it, it's clearly yeah. in in Lou's favor. So, you know, uh, for as good as Jamal was, he was putting up historic six men of the year seasons. Like I just said, Lou has been putting up like all star caliber seasons. You know, averaging twenty plus points a game off the bench, which we right. just haven't really. seen. I think seen. you can make so, the
1: argument that Lou I think is the best six man the league has ever seen.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, so for, for, for me, it's weird because like, um, I think of guys like, like Ginobili, uh, Andre Gudala, Kevin McHale, like the, there are guys who, and uh, those guys also split time right. starting. So it wasn't like they were full-time six men. So I Manu's, guess it was a good call.
1: I, I, I would take Manu over. Yeah. That's, that's a good call.
0: Yeah. That's the, like, that's the one, but cause I wrote about this where I wrote about it at the end of the season where I was like, this is one of the best six men stretches we've ever seen in, in you know, back-to-back seasons from anyone. But you go down the, you know, there's a lot of people throwing around. He's the best six man yeah. ever. And I was like, well, let's calm down for a second because I mean, Manu, uh, I, what we've seen from Iguodala, I think the last few years, and then sure. Kevin McHale, of course, is hall of famer who you know, did start a decent amount of games, but also did come off the bench a lot. Um, so anything else with the first team that, you know, I mean, D like you said, DJ Blake and Chris were, were the three no brainers. Those are the, by far the three best Clippers of the decade. And um, you know, they're, they're firmly, I think, entrenched in this.
1: I in don't this think group. those teams though, the CP3 Blake DJ teams win as much right away uh, without JJ shooting. Like, Blake developed over time. His yep. jumper developed. His his you know pick and roll ability with DJ developed. Like that chemistry came, but they're not as effective right away without JJ Redick. I I agree with you. I think people totally underrated what he did for those teams back in the day.
0: Yeah, and, and I I think that you know it, it is this is the all time, the all time what if for me. Besides, like I mean, there were multiple in that Lob City era, but I, I really wonder. Had the team stayed together uh, in the 17-18 season, how good they would have been? Um, Yeah. You know, because uh, obviously Chris left, JJ left, uh, still had Blake and DJ. Then they signed Gallo uh, and had traded for Lou and Pat and Trez. But I I just wonder, you know, that season for as good as Golden State was, um, like, look, Houston doesn't exist or, I mean, they exist, but, like, not that version of Houston that that pushed Golden State to seven. Uh, There's part of me that's, like, I almost kind of like a – I mean, the Raptors did trade for Kawhi, so it's a little bit different, but, like, almost like a waiting it out. I almost wonder if they had kind of ended it, like, a year prematurely. Uh, You know, maybe I'm in the minority in that, but I did feel like had they kept it together at least one more year – even with all the internal turmoil and all that stuff going on, like I, I, there's part of me. It's like, I think they would have finally broken through, made the conference finals. Maybe they don't beat the warriors, but you at least kind of get that monkey off your back. And then, you know, moving forward. I, I don't know. I, what what do you think about I that? Think,
1: I think mentally they were done. That's fair. I I mean, talent wise, of course they could have hung in, they would have been competitive, but when you suffer so many setbacks and some so much drama and all the all the loss. like Yeah, no. It's hard to survive one playoff loss like the one they had. But when you have multiple with the same group, I, I just think mentally. It, it, as soon as sign, there were signs that it was going to fall apart in the playoffs, I think the wheels would have came off completely.
0: Yeah, no. Uh, it's a good point. I mean, it was something that I brought it up to Blake when I did my story on him returning to Staples uh, kind of like midway through the season. And I was actually kind of surprised. Like he he thought about it when I when I asked him. I was like, "Do you ever think about like w- what it would have been like had you guys just stayed together and and just kind of pushed right. it one more year?" Um, and and he seemed to kind of be a little bit receptive to it. I mean, obviously he stayed and, and Chris left, so you can kind of read that at, you know kind of <laughs> at, at face value. But um, you know, he he did he hey, he agreed he agreed that yeah <laughs> he, he agreed that he he thought they would have been the second best team for sure. Uh, because that was that was kind of a yeah. weird year where, the, you know, outside of Houston, there w- wasn't really another elite West team. Um, like, you know, I'm, I'm trying – like, you know, like Portland wasn't – you know, that was the year Portland uh, got swept by the, the Pelicans and uh, what, Utah lost to Houston in the front. Like, so that was OKC losing to Utah. Yeah, it was just kind of a weird – it was yeah. a weird year where, like, there wasn't really another West threat. So I think the Clippers kind of could have stepped up – as that Houston threat and you know, who knows? We'll, we'll, never know. It's like you said, it's a bit of a painful kind of trip down memory lane, but it, it is interesting to think about. Uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll get into our second and third teams. It's a brand new football season. Antonio Brown is on the Raiders. Le'Veon Bell is with the jets. Odell Beckham jr. Is in Cleveland. But the one thing that hasn't changed is where I'm putting my money down in all the games. MyBookie is the place to bet on football every weekend. Our Blue Wire podcasters are using mybookie.com slash bluewire to sign up this year. MyBookie has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sports book, period. This year, they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest. First place is guaranteed to win at least $100,000, and it only costs $100 to enter. All you gotta do is pick five NFL games against the spread every weekend to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool. MyBookie has live in-game betting on every NFL game. They've got the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE when creating your account to claim the bonus. Bet, win, get paid. If shaving is a terrible experience for you, we've got you covered at Blue Wire. Our podcast network is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, a rich, lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the low quality razors from convenience stores. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Sign up today. Harry's is fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and over-designed. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash blue wire all of harry's blades come with 100 quality guarantee if you don't love your shave let them know and they'll give you a full refund again make sure you go to harrys.com slash blue to redeem your razor for three dollars all right so second team uh let's start with your team first and then we'll get into my team and then we'll we'll go back and forth and uh because this i think is is kind of where things hinge right like we kind of had the same (laughs) top six it seemed like uh or five or six and uh now i think this is where things get interesting so who who did you have on your second team uh and and then i'll share mine
1: i appreciate that you said hinge instead of (laughs) going off the rails entirely (laughs) (laughs) hasn't gone
0: off the rails yet
1: because you know, you know who I got in my second unit.
0: Uh, well, I'm looking at it now.
1: <laughs> I got Mr. Eric Bledsoe, starting oh. point guard in the second unit. Uh, I'll defend that one in a second. I got Jamal, of course, who I think, again, you can put on the first team without any any complaints from me, just for the, the longevity of what he did. Um, I've got Bledsoe, Jamal Crawford, Eric Gordon, Um then I got Matt Barnes and I got Danil Gagnon, so I I went small ball with my yeah, my super second strong. team.
0: So we we have eight of the same ten. Uh, I have my second team is JJ and Jamal uh, as the backcourt. court. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Barnes, Tobias Harris, and Montrez Harrell as my. Uh, the, I mean, again, what 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 I want to get into later was was kind of how depressing it was going through the clipper front courts <laughs> <laughs> year by year like it was really I, I struggled getting to to nine guys like it was i Not mean I, I cheated at the end too, p- putting you know two guards at, at forward basically but uh it, it was difficult <laughs> eric <laughs> gordon
1: basically a small forward now yo it's fine
0: yeah no i mean so so eric gordon you know like, like you said he, he plays small forward now for, for the rockets to, to an extent um yeah i mean the the second team, it's kind of funny, but you know, Bledsoe and Gordon. For the younger Clipper fans who did not really get to experience both of those guys, what uh, what are your memories of uh, of Eric Bledsoe and Eric Gordon?
1: I mean, that was that was the backcourt we dreamed on, man. I mean, I still have the T-shirt. I have mm-hmm. the Eric and Eric and Al Farouk and Blake and DJ. It was the under twenty-two lineup. It was. It was so fun to watch. Bledsoe was so out of control and just like chaos out on the basketball court. And the version of him you see now is like a, a much more refined version. Just imagine him like playing completely loose, and I I, I loved I loved that combination because Gordon was just like so straightforward and I mean picture perfect form, right? And everything fundamental, and everything looks pretty and tight. And then Bledsoe is just out here. Just, just doing whatever he was doing. And it was like, it was this fun juxtaposition between, between the backcourt where they played off each other. Well, and I, I just loved, loved those two together.
0: So Eric Bledsoe is the hill that Clipper Bog died on. Like, let, let's be real here <laughs> like that. That was where we, we all universally were like, this guy yeah. is, is so damn good. Yeah. He's still clearly a starter. He's probably going to be an all-star. And he should be playing way more than he is. And that is kind of what leads into the, the Vinny Del Negro kind of conversation where I still have it now. I I still, his name will get brought up and I'll get into arguments with people, um, even people who who work for him. And it's just like, this dude had Eric Bledsoe and DeAndre Jordan on the, on his team. And he was playing Willie green and washed up Chauncey Billups. And, You know, Kenyon Martin and Reggie Evans, who who did help the Clipper. You know, Lamar Odom, guys who d- did help the Clippers at times. You know, Reggie and Kenyon, of course, part of that uh, Memphis. You know, comeback in, in Game One and, and winning Game Seven on the road. Uh, but still, it's like you saw kind of the immediate jump DeAndre took under Doc Rivers uh, in that first season in, in thirteen fourteen. Yeah. And similarly with with Bledsoe, when he went to Phoenix, he immediately became an All Star candidate. Uh, and all star type player, and has been that now for a good, you know, six, seven years. So that's an that's kind of another what if, where like, you know, I'll always wonder had they kept Eric Bledsoe, of course, JJ, you know, I don't think anyone knew how good JJ was until Doc kind of let him loose and okay. all the floppy actions and all that stuff. But Eric Bledsoe and Chris Paul, I, I do really think could have been ahead of its time as far as now a lot of teams are transitioning to double point guards, double primary ball handlers and i i think at the time it worked really well we saw like kind of the, the one thing i think people forget what was how good de- you know bloodso was defensively oh, yeah. there, there was that conversation of avery bradley versus eric Bledsoe as the best young defensive guard in the league and you know I, i'm proud to say i was on the right side of history uh <laughs> on that one as we saw with uh, you know avery bradley coming to the clippers later on but um, what, yeah, you mean like the but, but, savior of
1: the Lakers, Avery Bradley.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, that that probably deserves its own podcast. But <laughs> anyone who thinks Avery Bradley is the answer is is going to be sad. And what's funny is it sounds like he's going to start, which you know, I, we we saw how that worked out last season. But um, yeah, so a- anyone else like I, we we both had Jamal, we both had Matt Barnes. Matt Barnes is the other guy that I think never gets enough credit with the Lob City era where. You know, if you had to pick a real small forward of this of the past decade, I think it has to be Matt Barnes. Oh yeah, no question. You know, which which of course is the problem with the Clippers' small (laughs) forwards over the last decade. But at the same time, I think he was you know better than people remembered. Um, You know, he really carved out that three and D niche where he became a respectable three point shooter, even though defenses didn't really respect him and, and played off him all the time. That actually kind of worked to his advantage, where you know, he was still shooting 36, 37, 38%. And I thought he was that kind of perfect fifth guy also was, you know, I think his toughness was kind of an underrated aspect of it where lob city was, was a bit polished and it was a bit like the flopping and the whining. And yes, Matt kind of played into some of that with, with the texts and stuff, but he also was the backup to Chris and Blake, where if anything went down, Matt was getting involved. And I think they kind of needed that type of guy because, you they didn't really have anyone else kind of in that role. So to me, Matt is is another underappreciated guy who I think really deserves more credit as a clipper. Uh, That was probably his, his peak and his prime as a player. And and I I think Matt, you know, really deserves more credit than he's gotten.
1: I I agree. I think one of the best uh, off ball cutters that era had, I mean, he wasn't a, traditional spacer in the sense that he's like a 40 percent three-point shooter like you might want around a team with Blake and DJ but he created so much just by making smart cuts and really understanding what to do off the ball and yeah he, he added a lot of toughness but he also added a lot of basketball IQ to that front court and again I think we think of Blake as kind of the finished product that he is now and we we think of DeAndre you know but things were rough with them IQ wise for a while. Like they weren't understanding <laughs> defensive rotations. Like they were kind of a mess out there on the court at times together. And, and Barnes really kind of shored up a, a lot of those issues defensively by being great on the perimeter, being able to guard up, guard down, and just make smart plays off the ball. So yeah, I, I loved Matt Barnes um, for as much as I wanted the Clippers to have an actual offensive threat from the three-point line he he did a lot more than he got credit for
0: the another guy here you know that we kind of briefly touched on with the first team uh, was Danilo Gallinari who I I think you know it's tough because he, he didn't even play 90 games or at least 90 regular season games I think with the play with the playoffs he was around like 92 93 something like that but um, you know Gallo I think last season was overall the Clippers' best player. Uh, you know, he, I think he he got a couple All-NBA votes. Uh, he, he was in that conversation. Uh, you know, it, it seemed like most of the attention was always on Tobias or Lou, but Gallo really, you know, I, I thought, you know, continuing with the underrated theme, like Gallo I think has been underrated the past couple of years. Obviously his first year in LA was pretty rough, um, you know, injury riddled and, and did not play well kind of looked washed up and like he was on his way out of the league. But uh, really last season, he bounced back in in a very impressive way, um, you know, defensively from guarding Marcus Gasol to Giannis to switching on to Dame Lillard and, and the pick and roll and stuff. Like he, he was just really impressive, um, you know, had a, a top 10 uh, true shooting percentage in the league, which the only other players up there were centers and Steph Curry and Joe Harris. So like he had an amazing season offensively. Uh, what did you know? What are your thoughts on Gallo and, and sort of how he fits? in? I think always?
1: it's sad in a way that his tenure as a Clipper ended the way that it did. Um, yeah. Just because that that playoff series against Golden State was just not indicative of what he had been during the regular season. So, I mean, people that were just turning tuning in and seeing the Clippers for an extended period of time in the postseason were probably thinking, like, man, this guy cannot hit a shot, like. <laughs> He was he was consistently, you know, the best offensive threat that the team had during the regular season. So in that way, I think everyone was kind of left with a bitter taste in their mouth. Um, but uh, like you said, during the regular season, especially after trading Tobias at the deadline, you kind of expected everyone talked about, okay, the Clippers are, you know, they're playing for a draft pick. Like they're not going to make a playoff run. And Gallo and Lou, but Gallo specifically with that starting unit kept them in it.
0: And then, uh, other two guys on that we haven't discussed, Jamal Crawford and Montrez Harrell, two super subs, not on Lou's level, but close in, in some regards. Um, Jamal, I mean, Jamal was basically Lou before Lou. Uh, like, there, there's so many similarities between their games, uh, you know, and, and kind of historically, their, their numbers have been pretty similar. Both like these inefficient guards off the bench who aren't point guards, but they're not really shooting guards. And they're kind of this weird hybrid role. Uh, And then defensively, both have been liabilities where that's kind of been the primary reason they don't start is just because they they can't really uh, defend anyone and kind of our liabilities at the end of games. But Jamal, I do think maybe, you know, maybe I didn't give him the the credit or or sort of the the consideration he deserved for first team uh, because, you know, two six men of the year awards as a Clipper uh, really was, um, you know, until really that last season where he kind of dropped off a lot. Um, you know, was probably the best bench score in basketball um, and, and maybe arguably the, the best bench player in basketball over that period of time. But um, what's your favorite Jamal memory?
1: I mean, I think just looking back on the second units that Jamal kind of carried, especially towards the tail end, <laughs> right? Like how many just random washed oh, up veterans goodness. did he have to make work, right? I I,
0: I forgot about the Danny Granger <laughs> era.
1: There's so many. I mean, Lance Stevenson. There's Lamar at the end. There, like, there's just a lot of guys that couldn't play anymore. Paul Pierce, right? Like,
0: Heedu Turkaloo. That that he do I'll say was that that was my favorite of the washed up because like he would just come in and get hot and hit like two or three ridiculous shots and then I I wouldn't you wouldn't see him for three more time, weeks. But, like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, like Spencer
1: Hawes. Yeah. Like, there was a lot of guys that just he was playing with zeros out on the court or, you know, worse than that. And he kept, kept games at at least at neutral, if not put the Clippers in better situations to win. I've, I've grown fonder of Jamal's tenure as a Clipper, as I've had time to distance myself from it. I think back in the day it was, it was like, man, he's inefficient and look, he's shooting, you know, 41% from the field, blah, blah he's taking contested twos, whatever it was. And it was harder then to factor in like, well, that's the absolute best shot that anyone that he's playing with is going to get right now. You know what I mean? Like that, yeah. that was never really factored. It was early in the analytics days sort of of that swing. And I feel like that wasn't weighed heavily enough back then of what okay well what else are you gonna get <laughs> like this is the best shot you can get
0: like a a, a big baby face-up jumper that, that's what you're gonna I, I mean yeah and and that's really like you know the the other thing that i mean i'm, I'm kind of spoiling some of the takeaways t- towards the end of this podcast but I, I mean the thing was of like how how badly those f- like early kind of the first well I would say most of the Lob City teams, just how badly they were constructed, uh, you know, especially on the bench Terrible. where yeah. they like if you were saying if you were kind of averaging them out on productive, you know, competent rotation players, it was like 7.5, like, you know, throughout the five or six year stretch. Like that was it was kind of a... you know, and even even what 14 15, which was the Rocket season they had you know it it was jamal austin and big baby which was like at that point seven guys like jamal i mean uh big baby and austin were like half a rotation player at that point it was just like yeah they blew a 19 point lead in the second half but they also were gassed you know after having a seven game war against the spurs and and, you know Uh six games into that series and it's like you got you're playing with seven dudes like I I, I mean, that, that was partially a a roster construction thing. And and I think that's kind of been the the biggest switch for the Clippers over these last couple of years is just the job the front office has done since doc transitioned out of that role. And they brought in, you know, reinforcement after reinforcement and now have one of the deepest front offices in the league. Like you, you just kind of see it where you wonder, like if they had, you know, this front office a few years earlier, what could have been possible? Like, you know, I think yeah. they were, you know, probably one to two competent rotation players away from potentially winning that Thunder series and potentially winning that Rocket series.
1: Well, that was the frustrating thing, right? Is that there just wasn't any continuity with the role players. It would be four different guys off the bench with Jamal, it felt like every single year. Yeah. And if there's one thing that this new regime gets, it's that getting people in roles, even if it's not a starting role, getting people in established, defined roles and locking them up right like the Lou Williams extension the the Harold deal like getting them for multiple years now you have something you can build around like you can fit other things around those guys and one of the most frustrating things about the front office and the way they operated in it, over the whole decade really until you know these last few years is that they they never valued rookie contracts and with rookie deals you get to keep those guys for six seven eight years sometimes right and they just never had those guys who are going to be there from year to year it just felt like it was just a a a constant revolving door of just eastern conference veterans who just could not (laughs) play anymore Uh,
0: i think there's a trend there i think some of those guys might have played doc rivers in the playoffs at one point uh (laughs) i'm not sure i'm not sure i I think i'm (laughs) honest (laughs) Um, so let's get into the third team so again there's some overlap here where like you know you had certain guys on on the second team that i on the third team and, and vice versa but um my third team front court this is where i cheated uh chris came in who only played 108 games it felt like it felt like more and less like i was like it, it, the Cayman era didn't seem that long ago but then it was but then this also featured his all-star season so that that is included uh so it is kind of weird having the fourth clipper all-star on the third team but chris came in uh pat beverly and austin rivers i cheated because both guys Kind of essentially played like Austin played a lot of, uh, you know, backup three in that three guard lineup uh, in what 16, 17, and a little bit in 15, 16. And then Pat really became the small forward last season. Like if you talk to anyone on the coaching staff, they considered Pat, not Landry or Shea, the small forward in that lineup. You saw him in the playoffs defending Kevin Durant in the regular okay. season. He defended Durant, LeBron, Paul George, on and on. Uh, he really was the three defensively in that lineup. So I do feel like it is a bit cheating putting a That's six okay. foot one and a six foot four guy as uh, front court guys, but you did it. So I'm okay with it. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then I had, bl- I had blood zone Gordon. It was kind of tough putting them on this team and, and not putting them on the second team, but I was more rigid with my positioning and, you know, I guess if you're comparing them to JJ and, and Jamal, I do think JJ and Jamal are ahead of them, respectively. But um, what, what was your third team? And, uh, you know, who, who did you enjoy the most on, on this team?
1: Uh, positions are dumb. It's fine. Don't worry <laughs> about it. Um, I had, so I went, we, we basically had the same guys in all three of our teams. And just combing through the last decade, it's really hard to find other guys who would be, In this group of 15 players. Um, But I went with Patrick Beverly, Austin Rivers, Tobias Harris, uh, Montrez Harrell, and then Chris Kamen as well. Um, Is that all star season from Chris Kamen in 2009, 2010? The most random all star season? Anyway, it was his seventh year. This is like Jamal McGlure all star season. His seventh year, just kind of out of nowhere. It's not like the Clippers were amazing that year. uh, 18 points, nine rebounds a game go chris
0: i mean yeah no i i remember what, what there was some moment in the lock didn't he say something in the locker room i'm trying to think <laughs> there was like some moment that went it was like something about i don't, I don't know probably
1: probably chris was a, a very weird guy <laughs> the one year that i worked with the clippers chris was was still there and uh he was just like very interested in like <laughs> And video editing software and was like <laughs> things that you wouldn't expect a hunter from michigan uh to be all that interested in <laughs> but he he was he was a odd guy for sure
0: so for, so for me i i put i had trez on my second team and, and came in on my third um that was partially yeah. a, a games played thing where trez played uh 50 more games statistically you know per game averages did favor came in but uh, Trez is like advanced stuff like PER, win shares, box plus minus, you know, real plus minus, all that stuff. Yeah, he like, was a monster is that decidedly year. in his favor. Um, and, you know, just exactly like I, I look back at, you know, first he was part of a playoff team. And then in the playoffs, I thought he was probably the best overall big man in that series. Probably him versus Draymond. But um, he was kind of pushing the, the Warriors bigs around like ragdolls out there. And uh, yeah. I just thought he was really impressive. Uh, Pat and Austin, you know, not really names you would necessarily associate like with, with Pat, it's, it's just a games played thing, um, where he's only played 89 games as a Clipper uh, in the regular season. But, you know, look, this guy's been the heart and soul of the team for the last two years, especially this past season. Um, you know, I think is as beloved of a Clipper as really almost anybody, like he's quickly climbing up that list. And I really think his impact has just been, instrumental and you just look at the way that the team played last season with with the comebacks that they had just the mentality they had in the locker room like that was all pat beverly and and pat really was like that you know when you kind of hear the the intangibles and and kind of some of the cheesy cliche stuff like that really applies to pat beverly like he really had that type of impact on the locker room and then with austin um you know austin's such a polarizing guy where there's still you know, there are people that didn't like that. I put him on the list and, and there's still some Clipper fans who, who never came around to him fully. But Austin, you know, I think back on that 2016 playoff series against the Blazers and the bloody eye and, you know, that team kind of playing, knowing their season was over with, with no Chris and Blake, uh, you know, they weren't going to beat Portland without them. But just the, the fight he had and, and really the improvements he made year over year as a player, he, he found himself as a Clipper. And he really, you know, kind of carved out a role player role for him moving forward that he's now carried on uh, to Washington and, and you know uh, now Houston. So to me, like you you can debate over Austin, I, I guess, but I, I think he belongs on here. I, I know you do too. and um, I think he's a, another name that probably isn't given the proper credit of like you know, his advanced numbers are never that good and um, you know he's probably a little bit overrated defensively, but he, he became a solid shooter. He he became a sort of three and D guard that I think is useful now. And you know he he's a he turned himself into
1: now. a good player. The last the last two years that he was a Clipper, he was with the team for four years total. The back half of his stint, he became a really valuable player, and I think a lot of people missed that because they were so upset. And it, I count myself in that group probably too is that he's thinking, oh, this is nepotism. What are they doing? This guy can't play. And he was bad his first two years, but he became one of the more reliable options for the Clippers. And like you said, one of their better defenders in those last two seasons. So I I have no problem putting him there. And I think the important thing to point out here is too, is there's really nobody else that can take that spot. (laughs) Maybe maybe Quran maybe
0: so that, that was Charlie. my thing I I when I, I you know it came down to I I was penciling in my lineups and I had Karan Butler and Luke Mabamute on my front court and I was just like this can't happen like I'm sorry like you know look I I wasn't as big of, of a Luke fan as maybe Andrew Hahn who <laughs> was championing Luke for for you know years uh but like Karan Karan was solid and his numbers were actually better than I remembered them being uh, especially as a three point shooter, uh, and, but Luke was you know it was a, it was a two year stint. Uh, first year his minutes were kind of inconsistent, and then this past season was a was a disaster. I mean he wasn't healthy, but uh, there was just kind of a weird situation there, and they ended up letting him go. And Karan it was also a two year thing where I just felt Austin was overall more impactful than both of those guys as Clippers, and then Pat even even too like with, with his you know didn't play as many games as either guy, but. I think what he did over the past, you know, year and a half as kind of the leader of that locker room really uh, I think carried more weight than either of those guys. But yeah, I mean it, it was slim pickings at this point where you're looking I think at you have to, I mean this is
1: like a general thing for me whenever people are complaining about all team lists and awards like you have to come up with somebody viable to take their place. Like you can't just say like, "Oh, he's an All-Star snub." And it's like, "Okay, well, who takes his spot then? Like who's better than him?" <laughs> like like you yeah. have to kick somebody off the list and you have to put somebody on. You can't just do one or the other.
0: Or or my favorite is like everyone's a top 5 player. Like it's like <laughs> 20 players are top 5 players. It's like which you can't have, you know, like I don't know. I mean, it's a similar thing, but um so who are the who if anyone were the difficult cuts uh, for me? I had four honorable mentions. I just kind of yeah. mentioned two of them uh, Luke and Karan, who I guess if you really went strict with the positions, would have made it, but there was some leeway here. Uh, Baron Davis and Mo Williams. <laughs> that's kind <laughs> of where I was like, All right, like it, it's come to this, like where Baron, uh, I he mean, that, that's probably worth its own podcast, but I just didn't feel <laughs> great about putting him on, especially when. You know, if you had maybe gone by, if you gave him a little bit more time, I think maybe you could talk yourself into it. But I just felt, looking at the two years he had under this these guidelines, it just wasn't going to happen. And Mo was solid for a bit, but again, I just didn't think he had the impact of of either of these guys.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess you could argue that Mo brought more off the bench than Austin did, maybe as a scorer. And this, certainly not as a defender, though, yeah. um, especially in the back half. And again, I mean, longevity matters. Like, a guy that played four or five years is probably going to get, you know, more deserving of an all-decade spot than someone who played one or two seasons. And again, for the last decade, it's just been uh, – Guys are just rotating in and out. One year stint, two year stint, tops. Even Quran, he played two years. Felt like he played about twenty, but he played for two years with the Clippers. That was it.
0: Oh well, uh, of course, this is fitting that the one name we didn't really discuss in in depth is Tobias Harris. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Tobias. I think that, I think that says it, that says it all, kind of. Uh, Bobin. To, I mean, Tobias. Tobias, I, I think is is underrated is going to be underrated in his placing in in Clippers history for this fact with the way he played last season, they got such a good trade package from Philly. And that really was kind of, you know, the Blake Domino Well, really go, I guess going back to the Chris Domino was was kind of what set everything in motion, but like the Blake Domino is a big thing that led to Tobias, but Tobias, I mean, without trading Tobias because of how good he played, you don't get Landry Shamit. You don't get Avica Zubats, who the Clippers flipped Mike Wiscala to the Lakers for. And you don't get Fondue Kabangele, who the Clippers got uh, by from, from Brooklyn by trading that Philly 2020 pick um, that they got from the Hairsteel. So, you know, outside of how good he was on the court, which, again, you know, borderline all star, uh, you know, probably a fringe all NBA guy, maybe for that third team spot. Uh, and you look, you, you just got paid by Philly. Uh, got a got a max deal off of you know largely his play with the Clippers last season uh again like but what they were able to get for Tobias I I think really speaks to how how good he was and and how kind of his trade value across the league and and the player he became as a Clipper
1: it's funny to really when you analyze that trade too to have like the utmost respect for Tobias and how he plays and the kind of guy that he is, the character that he is, and really appreciate all his talents and still just think, like, man, what a terrible trade for them. (laughs) I mean, having to max him, getting rid of Shamit, rookie contract, you know, ace shooter, like, I don't know that if contracts, contracts aside that you don't take Shamit over Tobias. You know what I mean, like.
0: Yeah, no. I, I think I think, I think that's that a, you
1: can make the argument that Shamit is just as valuable, or could end up being just as valuable as Tobias, and one is on a rookie deal, and the other one's on a max deal. Shout out to Elton Brandt who did, <laughs> played before two thousand nine, two thousand ten, helping out the Clippers with that trade.
0: Yeah, I, I almost stretch it to an all millennium team, but I, I thought that would have been too complicated. Uh, in, you know, <laughs> we
1: would have really been digging up some old.
0: Yeah, that that would uh, have been.
1: <laughs> Eric Piatkowski, give me twenty minutes on Eric Piatkowski, go on. Oh my god! The Polish rifle, ah,
0: uh, second best shooter in Clipper history.
1: One of the most underrated shooters of all time, if you ask me. I mean, yeah, this was before uh, guys were allowed to even shoot high volume threes. He was he was knocking down like three a game at like 42, 43 percent.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think after JJ, he, he's probably number two. Uh, I guess you could. I mean, Landry's going to climb that list very soon. Um, but that that's a good transition into. Uh, Kind of the last part of this all decades. Talk. Anything
1: uh, is a good transition from Eric Pietkowski here, two thousand nineteen. I, I, <laughs> I,
0: I love, I love the bleach tips. By the way, that that was a good look. Uh, that that was so you know early two thousands, late 90s. I want to say um, that
1: you had bleached hair at some point during the Clipper Blog era. Is that false?
0: Uh, that was like two years ago. So <laughs> it was post Clipper Blog, but. <laughs> Guys are terrible at taking care of their health. Whether it's a knee injury, a bad back, or something worse, guys are usually more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show 70% of the guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to chat with a doctor online. With Roman, you can get medical care for ED, if appropriate, from the comfort and privacy of your own home. You can handle everything online in a convenient, discreet manner. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash wire and complete an online visit. If your doctor decides that treatment would be appropriate, they can prescribe genuine medication that can be delivered in discreet packaging right to your door with free two-day shipping. Guys, go talk to the doctor. Erectile dysfunction can be tough to tackle, but it's really important to get checked out. With Roman, it's easy to connect with a doctor. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping that's getroman.com slash blue wire for a free visit to get started again getroman.com slash blue wire uh the 2020s so looking ahead you know next time you know if if we're lucky enough to do this in 10 years uh and having this conversation and we're looking back at the 2019 20 season through the 2028 29 season. Um, are we
1: going to be alive? Obviously, by we then? don't know. I don't know.
0: Are I hope know so. I hope so. I don't at know. That point, I, I, there might not be an earth. Um, but if we are alive and, and we're still doing this and, and ha- having this podcast talk, uh, we don't know who's going to be on the Clippers in 2025 or 2027, but with the knowledge we do have of who's under contract, how young they are, where they kind of project into the team's future, who are you interested in as a potential 2020s uh, all-decade Clippers guy? I mean, I think the obvious names are Kawhi Leonard and sure. Paul George, but outside of that, um, and maybe we could get into that too if, if you want to talk about that, but you know, outside of those two, who are some of the names you have an eye on?
1: Yeah, there's interesting ones. I mean, Lou is is probably going to be approaching the tail end of his career relatively quickly. Yeah. Um although it seems like he'll be able to score forever, I don't know if he's going to play much past 2024-25, right? Mm-hmm. Is he still going to be in the league 5 to 6 years from now?
0: Probably probably not. I, you know.
1: Probably not, right? So I don't know if if he gets a spot. I mean, Shamit I think is the obvious one, just yeah. as a shooter who's who's on a long contract, who's going to stick around and knock down threes at a high rate. um Kawhi, Paul George, obviously. Trez is the interesting one to me because he's going to play himself into a huge contract at some point, and I don't know if it's going to be with the Clippers just because of the way the you know the salaries are set up with george and leonard i don't know if they can make trez kind of the the third banana and pay him the kind of money that he's gonna earn so he's an interesting one to me what do you think about that
0: yeah no i so i'm looking now at my list i had near locks for the 2020s which now i kind of regret saying i mean i had Kawhi, pg landry trez and, and pat uh pat it seems like will play I mean, look, with this front office, you never know when they're going to flip someone like, you know, they've pulled off trade after trade that came out of nowhere. So I guess no one's really safe. And Shea was someone they didn't want to trade. And, you know, he probably would have been top this list um, had he still been on the team. But yeah uh, like you know so pat it looks like he's gonna get at least two to three years as a clipper which i i think will be enough to probably get him at least on the third team potentially pat's but
1: gonna play until he's 47 years old i, I get strong <laughs> andre miller vibes from pat like yeah. he's just gonna because he just loves it too much
0: well and pat's another one where i i think you know like we we talked about or at least you know i kind of focus more on like his off-court stuff in the locker room but like on the court, defending Kevin Durant, you know, did as good of a job as you could before he just went supernova. You know, became clearly, or at least probably, the best player in the league over that stretch where he was just averaging thirty five plus uh, into that Rocket series. Um, you know, but but Pat's defense, his ability to defend multiple guys and, and step up, you know, defending LeBron in that game that basically knocked the Lakers out of the playoffs in March, uh, defending Paul George, defending. Dame Lillard and CJ McCall and just kind of stepping up and defending everybody. And then offensively, I think really an underrated player. Uh, I keep using the word underrated. I got to think of a different word, but uh, just kind of a, a underappreciated or, or just not properly recognized player offensively. I, like I think just, just his, uh, you know, his ability to run, pick and rolls and, and find a Vita Zubats or, or find Trez and just, just keep the offense moving. You know, he's not really a primary ball handler necessarily, but uh, just his ability to secondary play, make, um you know hit threes at a really high rate last season uh just drive into the teeth of the defense kick out like he just does a lot of the small things that don't really go you know kind of get noticed or appreciated that I i think pat is a much better player than people give him credit for
1: and players like him too even though it seems like you know point guard would be the position that you'd age out of the quickest um it seems like like savvy veteran backup point guards are always hanging around like these guys that are like 36 37 like they they still can capably run a second unit and get him into their sets and defend their position like I can just see him lasting a lot longer than he has any business doing um, especially if he and, stays and healthy if he stays healthy that's the main thing
0: and, and I think he's a perfect fit in this type of situation where you saw how good he was in Houston as He's basically the ultimate 3 and point guard where he doesn't need the ball. You know, he he can run the offense. He can run pick and rolls. He can attack closeouts if you need him to, but he's also perfectly fine giving the ball up to a James Harden, to a Kawhi Leonard, to a Paul George, and standing, you know, in the corner and spotting up or, uh, again, running secondary actions on the weak side. Like, however you want to use him, he's versatile enough to do that offensively and then defensively, again, can cover for guys. But I'm just imagining this... Kawhi, paul george pat you know trio defensively and it's just it's scary like i i i get that they're the clippers aren't the perfect defensive team i know for example like uh you know like nate duncan and danny larue are pretty low on them especially nate defensively where he, he thinks they're going to be around league average maybe even i think we're i don't want to put words in his mouth but somewhere around league average uh not too high on them defensively but
1: i don't really understand I, that
0: i mean yeah I, I just think like well i also think that the guy people don't properly kind of again i'm not going to use the word underrated but like Aviza zubats if you look at avica zubats rim protection numbers yeah. he's a top five rim protector statistically you know yeah. in that range and again I, I he's not a rudy gobert joel Embiid, miles turner level defender yet but he i think he's in that second or third tier at worst and if, you know
1: if he's your if, if a mobile seven footer you know, that, that can protect the rim, that understands his role, that defensive rebounds well, is your weak link defensively? <laughs> like how well, does that, it, how it, that no, yeah. average? Like if he's technically your worst defender, I don't –
0: And that's the thing. I, I think you look at their projected starting lineup is – I mean it, it depends who you talk to, but it sounds like it's probably going to be Zubats, Jermichael Green – uh Kawhi Paul George and Pat yeah uh and that's five plus defenders in my opinion uh yeah like that, I, you know I mean I, I can clear, I, I, I mean clearly three of them but I, I think or even f- I'd say clearly four of them like Jermichael Jermichael's probably the weak link honestly of, of those five and if Jermichael Green is your worst defender on the court good uh, I think that's saying something yeah uh and then off the like Landry we saw what he did against Steph and Clay in the playoffs yeah. uh really stepped up in you know in an impressive way you got Mo Harkless Rodney Magruder uh, Trez, who is also an, another polarizing kind of defender, but I think especially against second units, can, can more than hold his own. And or, you know, it's just like I i don't like. I think they have more you know above average plus defenders than, than not. Really, the only weak link in the kind of you know nine ten man rotation is Lou Williams, who you know, yes, that comes with its own kind of difficulties. But really, now I, I think with Kawhi and Paul George, you don't even have to close games with Lou if you don't want to. Like yeah, you you know, I think the one, the one thing Lou brought that you needed him out there was shot creation. Well, now you have two guys who are better at him, uh, you know, better than him at shot creation, uh, and also much better defenders. So it's like, to me, if you want to close with with Pat or Landry instead of Lou, like I know it sounds crazy for some people, but I don't really see the, the issue. Yeah, with that. The, so, well, they
1: were
0: regardless, the Clippers have the versatility to kind of mix and match. Agreed. I right think
1: right. the counter argument that you make is, you know, maybe Kawhi plays. 60 games maybe paul george misses a a healthy chunk and then you know you're not you're not getting the same defensive impact just because they're not out on the floor as much but the the glippers were 21st in defensive efficiency last season with you know with gallo and tobias harris and you know some guys that are okay defenders right not not world beaters but you're replacing them with two of the best defenders in the league with paul george like that's that's got to give you a, a at least a sizable bump.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I I think we're in agreement here. And I I think to your point, like, I do think, I guess the the games played will kind of determine their ranking, but I'd be surprised if at least one healthy, you know, that starting lineup or just kind of the, the games played with Kawhi and PG together uh, versus without either one of them or, or both. Like, I, I think there's no way they're not a top 10 defense, if not top, you know, close to top five, Uh, I think when those guys are healthy,
1: and I think we still need to uh, we need to factor in Doc too. I mean the 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 continuity that he's kind of created. It's his system. the The role players know his system. Like the guys that have been around understand what they want to do in pick and roll coverages. Like the Clippers have the advantage of not being this brand new superstar team built from scratch of just a bunch of guys coming together and then picking random role players, right? Like they, like, like the, the first years of the heat team, um, they weren't just making a new team. They have pieces in place. They have guys that have been with doc that understand what he wants. So I, I think there's some carryover too. That's going to help them quite a bit.
0: Yeah. So other names I had to watch, um, which <laughs> I mean, at, at this point, I, I guess this is almost like three quarters of the roster, but, zubots uh, Zubats who, uh, you know, it seems like for all intents and purposes is the starting center moving forward, or at least at worst, you know, if he transitions to a backup center role at $7 million a year, that's not really going to kill you. A contract straight
1: should... That contract. Yeah. Okay. I think he should
0: perform to that. If, if not exceed it, uh, Jermichael green, who depending on, you know, as a player option next summer, depending on how he plays and, and what happens with Trez, I, I think it's probably going to end up being an either or thing between those two. Uh, and, who knows? Maybe Jamichael is the one that's kept because he, he's probably going to have a cheaper price tag than Trez. Uh, you know, I, I I mean, the thing with next, if you look at it in, um, you know, next summer, Trez is not only, I think, a top 10 free agent, Trez is arguably a top five free agent. <laughs> right. his class
1: is and, down. Yeah. And,
0: like, <laughs> I mean, it, it's not a great class, but like, it, it, you know, tre- as a top five free agent, like... I, it's not crazy to me if trez gets like 20 million a year like i i know you know some people are gonna scoff at that but like if if some team offered trez like three years 60 million i would not be shocked when's the
1: the last time a top five or even a top 10 free agent didn't get that
0: yeah no uh that, that i mean that's the thing so and if you're the clippers at that point like it, it's really going to depend on. Um, so, I, I don't want to spoil a story I'm, Ooh, I'm working on, do but it. it's, it's supposed to come out tomorrow. So, <laughs> um, I am writing about Trez. And, um, you know, like this summer, he's really focused on expanding his perimeter play. And really, you know, next season is trying to gear up to have at least the versatility to hit threes consistently to make plays from the elbow and, and, you know, from the top of the key and, you know, whether that's, you know, driving for himself or kicking out to, to shooters and, and creating stuff. For, and we saw some of that last year where um, you, you saw his playmaking out of the pick and roll, uh, you know, he was finding guys you know, easier and his, his assist percentage went up a, a bit and stuff, but uh, you know, he only attempted nine, nine percent of his shots came from 10 feet and beyond last season. So he still was a very paint bound player, Uh, I think that number is going to jump up to, you know, 20 to 25 percent, if not even potentially more next season um, in in terms of his field goal attempts. So uh, basically writing about that. But I I think that's that's going to be the big thing for Trez where, you know, defensively, I think he needs to step up and improve. He can be a a closer and, you know, can he close games in the finals? Because it's it's really going to be at this point, looking at the roster, him, Jermichael or Zoo closing games at the five you know, I think it should be Trez, but can he, you know, hold up defensively well enough uh, to do that? And and then offensively, you know, can he stretch out and start hitting threes? Can, Can he hit, you know, you don't really want to take a lot of long twos, but like if he at least has that shot in his repertoire and can stretch defenses out, I think that makes it easier for him to play with Kawhi and Paul George and actually just makes them more dangerous offensively. So I think for Treads, a lot of it's going to come down to how he plays next season, how he fits with Kawhi and PG, and kind of if he can eventually kind of make that transition to becoming a starting center, because you don't want to pay a backup center $20 million a year. Like that is right. just, you know, I know starting and versus coming off the bench isn't the biggest thing uh, anymore. But again, like if a guy's only capable of playing 25 to 28 minutes a night, you don't really want to play, you know, pay that guy twenty million uh, a year. So that to me is kind of the thing to watch with Trez: is can he get better? Can he expand his game? And and how does he fit with Kawhi and PG? Because if he fits great, you pay that twenty million and yeah. then you move forward. If he doesn't, uh, which is kind of how I'm, you know, wondering, like maybe you you let him get that money elsewhere.
1: I think no one's contract, as far as that free agency class, depends more on how their team does in the postseason than Trez. Like yeah. if if Clippers go to the Western Conference Finals, go to the finals. Uh, I mean, he can he can get close to a max deal, right? If he's a big part of that team, it's it's not unfathomable that he would get you know major major money um, in free agency. But if you know things go south, they lose in the first round, lose in the second round, whatever. They have a disappointing end. It's probably not going to be because of Kawhi and Paul George.
0: Yeah. <laughs> It's no, probably going to be,
1: the blame's going to be on the other guys. So then you got teams thinking, well, okay, is he worth this? So 82 games for the most part for Trez, I don't, I don't even think the development of a deep shot matters all that much. I don't think what he does through 82 games matters a whole lot. I think it's just all about where the Clippers finish in the postseason and how big of a role he's playing on those teams.
0: Oh, well, you're changing my story now. I'm going to have to rewrite it. Uh, <laughs> <send> uh, <over>. <laughs>
1: we'll we'll <laughs> edit it together. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, last three guys on the names to watch, which again now kind of is basically three quarters of the roster. Uh, Fondue Cabangele, Terrence Mann, yeah. the two rookies from this season who is I thought played. Yeah, what were you going to say?
1: I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just want to know is the man hype real? Are they really thinking he's going to be like a rotation type uh, player?
0: I think he, he has a chance. I mean, Jerry. So Jerry had that quote at the at the playbook event where he's like the one guy. I think everyone needs to keep an eye on on the roster is Terrence Mann. I think by the end of the season, he's going to be a rotation player, contributing. So you know, there there are a lot of people who subscribe to and Jerry we trust as you probably should. So if that's the case, then then yes, I personally. I mean, I guess I see the path because he probably just has to beat out, I guess, Rodney Magruder, which to me is unlikely, but not impossible. I don't think Magruder is necessarily a rotation lock, even though they just signed him to a three-year deal. So you got to think he's going to get his, his shot. And then the other the other factor, who, who's the third guy who I hadn't mentioned yet, is Jerome. And Jerome, you know, the, the jury's still out on Jerome. We don't really know what to, I, I think. Anyone who has an opinion on him, it's probably still too early, good yeah. or bad. Small uh, sample
1: size for sure.
0: But at the same time, like he's a lottery pick and yep. a lottery pick one year removed. And as we've seen historically with teams, it is a weird position now because they are contending and you got to think Doc's going to prioritize ready now, like who's contributing now type players. And, and maybe that's not Jerome, but. Mm-hmm. He still is a lottery pick that the team invested in, uh, you know, took higher in the draft than most people had him projected. Most people had him in the early to mid twenties, if not even the second round. Right. Clippers took him at thirteen, so you got to think that there is some level investment on their end where they're not just going to let this guy sit in the bench and they're going to give him every opportunity possible to earn a, a spot in the rotation, even if it's like as the tenth or eleventh guy, uh, w- which it seems like it probably would be. Like I think he's gonna get his fair share of opportunities. So, to me, just looking at the the rotation, like you already have Kawhi, PG, Landry, Pat, Lou, uh, Rodney, and and Mo, all kind of vacillating between that like one through three, one through three point five, uh, kind of in the rotation. Like I just don't really see where Terrence and Jerome fit in. I, it's gonna be you know you could easily get to the the forty eight minutes across the three positions without those guys. So to me, it's yeah. like can Terrence do it? I think it's possible. I just, I think the other thing with him is going to be a shot because right now he's not a good shooter. He didn't show in, in summer league that he can shoot. Um, and it's like, it's hard to play. I mean, there's a lot of, to me, a lot of Ty Wallace in him. And I think he he's probably going to be better than Ty and, and, you know, probably projects better just overall. But there is that, like, he's a big guard who can't shoot. And yes, it's, his court vision is impressive. You know he's definitely a better passer than Ty was, but you know Ty that has seemed to be a kind of a limiting thing for him is just his inability to shoot, um, and you know defensively it was kind of inconsistent. So I do think he has a shot, but I, I don't know what what you know did, how much of him did you watch at summer league?
1: A little bit. I think the way that I see it is, I think Man is kind of Patrick Beverly insurance, and Jerome is Lou insurance. <laughs> Yeah. Because Jerome Wright is gonna play pick and roll, like he can he can shoot it, like he's kind of your offensive spark plug, whereas man can do some things defensively and kind of play a role closer to Pat. So maybe neither of them play very much until one of those guys goes down with injuries or, you know, they shorten their minutes or give them load management days or whatever it is. But it's interesting. I, I wouldn't be surprised if one of those two finds themselves playing some pretty decent minutes.
0: Yeah. I mean, in theory, I think Jerome fits a, a need for the second unit where if again, you go with the proposed starting lineup of green at the four and, and, you know, Pat at the one, um I think, you know, Lou tries pick and roll with Jerome and, I mean, Jerome and Landry spotting up yeah, around that. Like that's, so, you sure. know, that, that's kind of insane. Uh You know, I, I think, Landry is going to be someone to really, you know, I'm interested to see his role next season. He's going to have the ball more, play some point guard, um, in in playmaking stuff. But you know, him and Jerome spacing that pick and roll with probably Mo Harkless at the four, like that's a pretty good second unit. And, and you know, that to me is kind of the the differentiator with the Clippers versus other contenders. Is I, uh, you know, Milwaukee to me is kind of eight or nine deep. Uh, yeah. Philly's, you know, might not even be eight deep might be like six deep. Uh, The Lakers to me are kind of five to seven deep. It really depends on a given night, but the Clippers to me are legitimately 10 deep. And with the potential to be 11, if, if Jerome or Terrence hits and it's just like their depth, I think is going to be such a huge factor in the regular season. But in theory, I think Jerome has a role in the second unit. It's just a matter of, does he shoot the ball well enough? And can he at least hold his own defensively a little bit?
1: Um, I just want to say that I love that we got here. I knew we were going to at some point. I'm glad that we got to talk about the 11th and 12th men on the championship (laughs) roster. Just reminds me of the old days of, you know, (laughs) spending hours talking about Brian Cook and whether he could contribute or not. It's beautiful.
0: (laughs) Shows how far the Clippers have come. For sure. Um, (laughs) But anything else you want to talk to or talk talk about? You know, this is. we don't get to do this all the time, so uh, any Clipper—I mean, I think we kind of hit—we hit a lot of stuff. But um, a- anything Clipper-related that's on your mind, uh, uh, any thoughts on the potential rebrand?
1: Oh, I love it! I think you go back to those those orange, the orange baby blue look. I'm I'm all in. Mm-hmm. The couple of pictures that that you had on your um, that you retweeted on your Twitter account, those are beautiful. Let's like yeah, let's no. do it.
0: Uh, I, I mean, the, so I, I'd forgotten. Why I knew that the Knicks were blue and orange, but this would be a different version. Yeah, I had forgotten the, the Thunder kind it's not of the same, not It's not same. the same. But, but, the, but the Thunder have probably the worst logo and and you know jerseys. Arguably, yeah, no team is so. in more
1: desperate need of a rebrand than Oklahoma City.
0: So yeah, I, I think the Clippers are, uh, are like, fine.
1: I don't love the logo like everybody else. I don't love most of the jerseys but they have one or two that that work I, I mean i don't think they need a rebrand i do think it would be cool though especially when you move into the new building i think once you get once you get to move into the new arena maybe you rebrand then maybe you have a championship banner to hang up at that point
0: <laughs> what what about the name change what would you keep it i would clippers? just
1: i'd keep it clippers embrace your past you know you can't run from your demons Jovan. You have to embrace-
0: <laughs> that's fair i mean I think, yeah, my my thing, so I talked about this a little bit last time with um my buddy Jack Appleby who's into branding and marketing and advertising and stuff because uh, I thought he'd have an interesting perspective on the whole like rebranding and changing the colors and changing the name and all that stuff. And, and he's a really big Clippers fan. But I think I mean, there's part of me that's like, I just feel like it's it, it's not about like the Clippers themselves and their fans. It's almost more from like, a national perspective of, like, if they, there's not going to be, I mean, maybe there'll be some fans that are upset, but like, no one's going to stop being a Clippers fan if they change the name, like, unless it's something ridiculous, like, you know, like, no, I don't even know what it,
1: I want a conclusion to the narrative, like the suffering, the years of suffering. Like I want it to be the Clippers have won the NBA finals. Like so, I don't so want do, it to be the Hollywood you know, stars have won no, no, the NBA sorry. finals. Like, I, I just need my narrative to be completed. Like <laughs> I need the King Slayer to come in and, you know, save the Clippers. Like this is, I, I need it. And uh, the branding is an important part of it. Like I, I like different jerseys. I like different colors. I like different logo, but I, I need to be able to tell people I'm, I'm a diehard Clippers supporter from back in the day and have them understand what I, I I'm think talking I,
0: I'm, about. I'm wrong here then. I guess uh, you're convincing me. I mean. I guess what what, what I,
1: I No, I I'm just like a sucker for that stuff. It's not right or wrong. No, I, I'm just nostalgic. That. And it's <laughs> why you have me on your podcast right now talking about you know, players that played for the Clippers ten years ago. Like this is this is what <laughs> yeah, I Yeah, no
0: I mean, I guess my thinking was more of like there's been such a stigma around the name Clippers, you know, primarily during the Sterling era. But like just kind of flipping yeah. that would almost like I, I think it would potentially open up the floodgates for everyone to just jump on the Clippers bandwagon and and kind of it just be like this fresh you know completely fresh start and again it's not so much as like the franchise necessarily needs it or like the fan base necessarily needs it but it's almost like kind of appealing to a broader audience um,
1: oh from a marketing <laughs> standpoint it's a no brainer <laughs>
0: But no, I, I get that. And I, I think the one caveat with that, as I've, I've said it before, is like they won the title during that stretch because, you know, this is all projected to happen in 2024 when they move into the new Inglewood arena. If they won a title during that stretch, which I think is very realistic, if not likely, like you can't change it at that point. If the Clippers win a title, the Clippers are going to stay the Clippers. But, um, you know, I guess if there's the doomsday scenario where Kawhi and PG leave in 2021 and they go back to being the Clippers and it's like, well, all right, well, you probably, probably got to (laughs) change, probably got to change the name. Um, But no, I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to win one or two titles. And uh, I think they'll have a, some nice banner uh, placement in in the new arena. Sounds great. All right, man. Well, thank you very much. This was long overdue. I'm glad um, that you are able to do this. I'm going out of town uh, to Europe in, in a couple of days. So, I'll not be podcasting for a couple of weeks. Uh, I'm going to London, Paris, Amsterdam, and Barcelona. So it will be a fun trip uh, with some buddies. But uh, again, appreciate your time in and uh, you can follow DJ on Twitter at foster DJ three. Anything you want to plug or promote?
1: Everyone subscribe to the athletics. So you get to read Yovan. He has become one of the best beat writers in all of basketball uh informative, smart, funny, great content all the time. It's it's worth every penny. If you're somehow listening to this without being subscribed to the Athletic, you need to go do that. Jovan can't miss stuff. So go do it.
0: Thank you man. I, I really appreciate that. That uh, that means I love you, brother. <laughs> I love it's you too, man. To
1: you <laughs> I know. I'm glad we did
0: this. This was long overdue. Me too. Um but all right. So, as always, um if you have not subscribed to The Athletic, as DJ just said, um, you could subscribe <laughs> for the price of a cup of coffee. Uh, and if you want to test it out, there's a one-week free trial. Um, if you like it, you can keep subscribing. If not, you could unsubscribe, but I highly recommend against that. Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Buha. That is at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. And most importantly, subscribe to this podcast, the Clip City podcast on blue wire you could search clip city or blue wire on apple podcasts spotify stitcher anywhere you listen to podcasts probably where you're listening right now Uh, if you're not subscribed you should subscribe again i will be out of town for a couple weeks so i will not have a podcast next week and probably not the week after maybe later in the week uh but i'll be on a two-week hiatus and then i'll be back so i will talk to you then